0: Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast, where I interview business authors and talk about their newly released books. Today, I interview Michael Haynes about his book called Listen, Innovate, Grow, a guidebook for startups and small businesses looking to acquire and grow business customers. Here's a little bit about Michael. Michael is a B2B customer strategy specialist and has spent over 20 years working with companies in Australia, Brazil, and Canada, ranging from sole traders to large SMB SMEs. So Michael is the co-author of Listen, Innovate, Grow, and it's a guidebook for startups and small businesses looking to acquire and grow business customers. So I talked to Michael about the B2B sales process and more importantly, the B2B sales process for today. Principles around innovation, all companies are looking to innovate, so we discussed that. The three-stage model to grow a business. So here we go, enjoy the interview. Thank you, Lance. Great to be here. It's absolutely fantastic having you. Um, Michael, where do I find you today? Where am I speaking to you from? So you're speaking to
1: me from Sydney, Australia. Um, And yes, we're on the tail end of our lockdown, thank goodness. But yes, Sydney, Australia, down under is where I am at currently. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so very much for the past 10 plus years, I've been focusing heavily on working in the B2B space. Mm-hmm. Um, so working with organizations, uh, to help them develop and implement customer driven uh, buyer driven, um, uh, strategies and programs to really drive business performance. I've been doing a lot of work of working with what I consider my piece, small, medium businesses, SMEs, to enable them to really, uh, gain the success and growth that they're seeking, because I truly believe B2B is the place to be if you're an entrepreneur, small, medium business owner, because there's lots of benefits of operating in the B2B space in terms of uh, long-term contracts, larger revenues. uh, Your clients and customers can serve as the referral engine to drive growth for your business. So lots of opportunities if you understand and know how to navigate the world of B2B. So I've been spending a a fair bit of my career, uh, particularly the last um, 10, 11, plus years, helping small, medium-sized businesses to really uh, take, identify and take advantages of those opportunities in the B2B space.
0: And the SME space, the small, medium-sized businesses have been particularly hit by COVID. So have you had to do something different in the last two years, or have you managed to retain the, the amount of work you had before?
1: So yes, great question, Lance. So I myself have done a bit of a pivot. I'm not a fan of that word, but I did a bit of a change of my business. And really now, Lance, I'm focusing work, working primarily with SMEs. So prior to the pandemic, twenty shortly after launching the book, up until December 2019, I was working across startups and SMEs. Uh, I decided once the pandemic hit to make a shift and really focus on the small, medium-sized businesses, the SME space, because um, that's the space I really am passionate about. I know quite well. Um, so I decided to make that shift and really kind of double down, practice what I preach and get even more tighter in my focus in terms of where I wanted to focus and build my, my practice.
0: Mm. Well you mentioned your book there and it really is fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it. It's called mm-hmm. Listen Innovate Grow, a guidebook for startups and small businesses looking to acquire and grow business customers.
1: This book is really meant, as a subtitle said, to be a guidebook, a how-to book for startups and small medium businesses, so that they know how to really understand those business clients and customers, the business buyers, in terms of their needs and priorities and objectives. So that's all about the listening. Innovating is how do you meet those business customer, business buyer needs. So how do you innovate, make those introductions, improvements across the business? So we need to look think holistically and it's through business innovation and then grow is how you uh, pursue that growth what are your growth pathways you're going after new markets new customers providing new offerings combinations thereof as well as how do you manage that growth so as you go from being a 10-person micro business to a 50-person SME to a uh, 25 20 250-person-plus business as you're growing? How are you maintaining that culture of entrepreneurship, innovation? Um, How are you looking after and and, uh, managing and looking after your staff? So listen, innovate, grow. Those are the three key activities that businesses need to be doing on an ongoing basis to have that sustainable, profitable growth. And this book, Lance, is written in the context of of providing strategies and actions that are really applicable by startups and small, medium businesses. So it's using tactics that they can use written in a language that they can understand, but still being very proactive, very strategic, and also enable them to be adaptive and responsive to the needs of those customers and markets that they're pursuing.
0: Mm, fantastic. And you actually say that the B2B is the place to be, so business to business rather than business to consumer or B2C. Uh, you know, Why do you say that B2B is, is the, the market to be in as opposed to B2C, or, or are you just particularly interested in B2B?
1: I, I'm particularly focused on B2B because B2B does present a lot of opportunities because if you do understand the characteristics, the dynamics of uh, B2B and how to interact and operate in that space, you can get you know, larger clients. Uh, so in of those big name clients, larger revenues, uh, you'll get long-term contracts um, and some cases, sometimes exclusivity. Uh, so you can be getting these larger clients who are going to stick and do business with you for very long periods of time. One of the characteristics of operating in a B2B context when you're selling product services and solutions to other businesses is that uh, the decision makers, the business buyers um, rely heavily on word of mouth and referrals. So if you can deliver a great uh, product, service, a great experience, and know how to generate those referrals, you can be getting lots of referrals by that word of mouth, that engine, which can really help continue to give you a lot of momentum and a lot of growth. So there are a lot of uh, benefits that you can get through the B2B, but again, it's about understanding the dynamics of this uh, B2B market and then operating accordingly.
0: want to ask you about the B2B sales process and how business people buy, because I'm I was tr- always trying to learn about how to approach them, what gets them interested, uh, you know, how to, to win their business essentially, and then also how businesses business buyers evaluate your offering. So, maybe you can talk about those two things, the, the sales process and how people evaluate the offering that you, you're presenting to the market.
1: Okay, great question, Lance. I'm actually going to take it from the buyer's perspective because it's really now in terms of Uh, It's about selling the way in which business buyers buy Um, over the there's been a lot of changes in terms of the uh, behaviors of business buyers in terms of how they do their buying and their decision making Uh, over the past two years. And it's really accelerated over the past 12 years. 18 months where we've all been working remotely and doing a lot of uh, remote working online. Business decision makers do a lot of their own self-education and self-research. That's something that was always happening, but it's increasing even more so. Uh, There's been a lot of studies done now by the likes of Gartner, Forrester Research and your business decision makers want to be doing their research. They want to be going online, attending webinars, reading white papers, contacting their colleagues, being involved in communities and groups, doing their own research before they want to be speaking to anyone from a sales in a sales role. So hence the key as a product or service provider, we really have to be about understanding who those decision makers are and providing them with the various tools information and sources where those business buyers are looking for information so that they can be doing that information gathering assessment and um, be making those decisions hopefully within your favor so it's really about facilitating that buyer enablement as part of that lance in terms of when you're as a salesperson when you're having discussions it's no longer doing the show up and throw up making the pitch it is really about being the true advisor and consultant now this um, salespeople really need to be helping to identify new opportunities, identifying solutions to problems, helping the, uh, your clients and your prospects navigate through all this content. There's been a barrage of content that's gone online over the past 12 to 15 months where everyone's been just putting lots of content out on the internet, on social media, which has made business buyers somewhat confused. And so part of it now as your role as a salesperson is to help them navigate and to say, Okay, Mr. IT uh, organization, you need to be focusing Of all this noise in the market. These are the insights. These are the things that you need to be focusing on for your organization. So really, being, salespeople have to do that sense-making in terms of helping them make sense of what's going on, all of that content, and providing the roadmap and guidance as to how should your prospective clients how your client and prospects should be, uh, what do they need to be doing, what action they need to take to move forward. So it's really around facilitating that buying decision, helping buyers to have that certainty, that understanding what's the roadmap, what do I need to do to get to where I want to go. So it's really about taking a very consultative advisory role, which also means that marketing and sales have to work together. Because marketing should be the ones providing a lot of those insights and a lot of those tools to the salespeople to help have those discussions and interactions. So marketing and sales now have to work in together, collaborating, not just being aligned by virtue of the way how business buyers are buying now, which is a lot of independent research. Um, They're doing a lot of their own independent research uh, and sourcing. And they're looking for that roadmap, that sense making to help them figure out where they want to go.
0: So I've read that you don't create opportunity, you um, identify opportunity, uh, and then you position yourself to take advantage of an opportunity. What do I need to do as a salesperson to conclude that deal?
1: Well, you have to, I think a lot of it is about instilling confidence uh, with that um, client or prospect as to what happens after the sale. So how are you going to be working with them in order to enable them to achieve their objectives? So know, what sorts of kinds of service, what kinds of support. And then also, can you also be proactive ahead, thinking ahead as to what are some future challenges they may be coming up with or future opportunities that they need to consider? So it is still about being a bit, it's about being forward thinking and, you know, letting them know how you're going to work with them, I guess, in the immediate term in terms of what happens beyond that signing of the contract of the agreement, but also showing how you're really going to be helping them further down the track, identifying opportunities, solving problems. And again, it's it's a bit of that proactive looking ahead, that proactive advice and guidance. That is really, um, because that's a lot of what business decision makers are really looking for now. They're looking beyond just the immediate. It's about how, who's going to really help me down that longer term, longer objective. So it's really demonstrating how you can do those do those things. So a lot of what marketing provides in terms of the content up front on the website and all of that, that's great. But now it's about taking it to the next step to, to instill confidence that, okay, this is how we're going to work with you in terms of providing that immediate product or service. And this is how are some of the additional value adds of how we can help you moving forward. That's really going to be the key
0: to really seal the deal. And what a lot of companies are battling with is when to charge <laughs> because obviously you're an organization, you're an SMB, you've got like salaries to pay, so you need to charge for your services. But it seems like more and more and more, this guidance, this consultant type of approach is expected to be free. Um, and so, where do you have any advice on when you should charge and you know what, what stage of the, the buying process should you then engage with? Should you start paying for your consulting almost straight away? or do you have any input on there? Where, where should you start charging for your services? So
1: so, so Lance, my view is uh, a couple of things. One, you definitely have to be, we have to, you've got to give to get. So you do have to be giving more value and giving more value up front, mm. in, uh, very much in terms of outlining what needs to be done, what's feasible, what's possible. Where I believe um, the charging should be coming in is because what people often need, is helping is is with the actual execution with the how. So where you need to be start really getting into the detail and there's that proximity, what I call access of you as a product service provider starting to work quite closely with that client in detailing, mapping out the how, how are they going to execute? That's when you need to be starting to charge. So a lot of the upfront advice can be around the how, uh, around what to do, what's feasible, possible, but when we're getting into execution, implementation, and they need that proximity, that closeness of working together to execute, to implement, and that support, then you need to be starting to charge for, and that's the value really of what your uh, B2B clients are really seeking is that's where they get a lot of the value is in that actual execution of how we bring those opportunities those recommendations for problem solving to life and execute on them it's in that execution and that how element is where they often need help and that's where you should be charging um and charging accordingly because that's really where the the value really comes comes into play
0: are you an author and would like to launch your business or technology book to a global audience The Business Bookshelf Podcast can run a virtual book launch for you. It'll include planning sessions with you, the 60-minute live event on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, up to three guests to appear and endorse your book, social media support and activation, prizes and giveaways, the edited event to share with people who couldn't make it, three social snippets to share on social media, and a dedicated episode of this podcast. To find out more, visit www.businessbookshelfpodcast.com. And if it's not for you, then tell others about it. Thank you. Cost of sale. So you've done all the free stuff you've given, you know, done consultative work for them. Do you think you should try and add in that cost of sale into the, the actual services later on?
1: Well, yeah, great question, Lance. And it's about charging for the value. You know, what is the, you know, what is the impact, um, the value of the services that you're providing? You know, you wanna be having an understanding of the kinds of service providing. Well, what's the impact if you're going to help them uh, implement an IT strategy that is going to, you know, what well, it's going to result in X millions in savings or, you know, X number of new clients valued at a certain amount. So recognizing, you know, the value, the impact of what your service is going to have, and yes, then charge.
0: Accordingly. Well, the second part is innovation. You mentioned five key principles to guide a company's B2B innovation efforts. Could you tell us what those five key principles are and maybe just talk a bit about them?
1: Okay. So there's kind of five key principles. So there's one is the, the first principle is your Pareto principle that, and which is very typical in B2B that often 80% of your revenues are coming from, you know, 20% of your clients. I've seen in some cases it can come down from, from 10 or 5% of your clients. So really recognizing where your revenues are coming from and making sure that you're really advising, supporting, and giving a fantastic client experience to those, to those, um, Uh, clients and customers. So that's, that's um, first um, one of the, one of the key principles. Another one is around the whole customer knowledge, really making sure you have an in-depth understanding and a current understanding of your customers. And I would also add that we're, when we're talking B2B, we must make sure we understand the having an in-depth understanding of the buyers and their priorities, their objectives, their key challenges as well. So it's that in-depth understanding of your, of your clients and customers, making sure it's in-depth and it's current, because that's going to help you identify where you need to make your your business innovations, your improvements, your changes uh, within your organization. Um, The third is around uh, multi-tenanting, and that is that whole concept that if you're, for example, developing a new solution, um, for example, I'm working with a professional services client who's developing some new consulting offerings. You want to try to identify, identify once you've done all that work to develop that new um, consulting solution, which we put a fair bit of work in. So they're going to be looking to apply it to one uh, key target uh, customer segment, but we've also identified how that same solution with some modifications will be able to be rolled out and adapted to other segments and other geographies to really help uh, their, their scaling and growth effort. So that, that, that multi-candidating principle that you where possible when you're doing, um, particularly when you're doing significant innovations like around your products or services, where you can apply it to more than just one customer or one segment and you can acro- apply it across multiple opportunities, you really want to try and do so, so you can get maximum benefit from those efforts, which particularly when we're talking about developing new products, new solutions where that can be quite intensive. You don't want to just apply it to that one big enterprise customer. Ideally, you want to be, yes, have it for the enterprise customer, but also have opportunities where we can modify it and apply it to other our SMB customers, uh, SMB customers also in other markets so that you can, it, it helps expedite your growth and also gaining maximum return from your efforts. Um, the fourth principle is around, uh, is really around being problem solving oriented. So really making sure that your innovations are really, um, problem solving, addressing some of those key priorities and challenges of those key clients, customers that you're serving. And then the fifth one is around expectation management, which is really around managing expectations of your clients and customers. You know, don't, Overpromise, promise under deliver. Again, it's about delivering a great client experience. And in B2B, we need to be giving a great client experience from two perspectives, from the decision-maker perspective, with all that advice, consultative work that we're doing with them, as well as on a user experience level when we're talking around you know, your frontline staff and you know, the support that they're getting around using your services when there's issues, complaints, onboarding, et cetera. So those are the five key principles that you want to be thinking about in terms of innovation.
0: I find still now it's very very easy to jump straight on into the the prototype testing without going through you know the research uh, and and those aspects of it. And um, how are you with design thinking? Do you do you adopt that type of process? Um, you know the empathize, define, ideate, and then prototype and test. Are, are you do you? follow the design thinking process? I think you've yeah, just I, kind
1: I, of- explained- Yeah, I follow, I follow the design thinking concept. I often don't use necessarily that terminology with, with SME clients, um, but yeah, definitely following the, those principles. And again, it really starts about um, making sure you're doing that fundamental listening. I've done a lot of work across many startups many startup sectors, FinTech, EdTech, et cetera. And what I have found, particularly when we're talking in those product technology aspects, that there is not enough work done in terms of listening understanding the needs at a customer buyer user level um to be making sure that your solution is really meeting their requirements um quite often i'm finding where that lack of product market fit is not occurring because there's not enough understanding our customers they don't understand their needs priorities their challenges who's using it what are some of the key questions often there can be tendency to, to Function, too much focus around technology, and, you know, where we're using AI, we're using machine learning, but not understanding the needs and priorities of the end user. I'll give you a live example. Lance, last year in the midst of the pandemic, uh, for one of my venture capitalist clients, um, I had. Must have been in the month of April, 12 startups that all had learning management solutions that were gonna revolutionize and solve all the problems for primary school um, and and middle school teachers with respect to um, how they could be working remotely. Probably put bullet holes in nine out of the 10 of those products and solutions because they were coming up with these ideas for math and science programs that they're gonna introduce into Canada. Is it aligned to the curriculum? oh, what do you mean about that? Well, if it's not aligned to the curriculum, how can you have all of these features and benefits if you have not had it aligned to the curriculum of where you're going to be selling it in, of the markets you're selling it into? Uh, Another issue came up, Lance, was service and support. For queries, for questions and issues, you know, how do you, the teachers, when they have issues using the solution, how do parents, when they're trying to help their their um, kids using this solution, what is the service and support mechanism? Many of them didn't have it or it was, it was not really effective from a customer perspective because they didn't take the time to go to that level to be understanding from a customer perspective what is really needed and required. Lots of people talking to me around technology, methodology, and I'm like, teachers and parents don't care whether it's AI, machine learning, they want to be able to have certain questions answered from a teacher perspective if they're trying to teach math using this this technology in a remote way the parents when it's seven o'clock at night and they're at the kitchen table scratching their head because their kids have a homework assignment due they want to know how they can get certain questions answered and it's that level of detail that you need to have to be making sure that it's meeting customer need i have found in many occasions where that is not being that because we're not understanding our customers enough so that is is critical that you really have that depth of understanding to deliver uh, the right kind of solution from the what you deliver to your customers and as well as how you deliver to them. Their service support, the overall customer experience that it's really conducive to what they're needing and seeking.
0: SME companies are very really lean. They don't you kind know, of cut out costs. People are stressed, work long hours. Uh, who do you find does the innovation aspect in a, in a business? Is it is it salespeople who, and particularly the research listening part, is it the sales team who have access to the customers who do... The, the listening, or do you find that companies like this have an innovation person that they hire specifically for this? Who, who in the organization generally handles the innovation part of the business?
1: It tends to vary. Um, in, in technology companies, it might be someone within the products division. Um, I am of a believer that really this whole innovation to a large degree should be driven by marketing because marketing needs to be a strategic marketing function where they're the ones that are driving and owning to understand the requirements of the industries, markets, and customers that they serve. So they should be really leading that process and working cross-functionally with your products folks, your operations, your sales. So it needs to be done in a cross-functional manner. And again, marketing and sales need to be working quite together in collaboration. I've seen in some SMEs where that has occurred quite well uh, by virtue of the fact that the CEOs have set up their marketing and sales function as a combined revenue operations, whereby the two teams work together. And that is really how it needs to be done. But I'm a big believer that it really needs to be a true, your strategic marketers, those who are really responsible of understanding the needs of the markets, customers, your external environment of the customers. they should be playing a key role in really driving what needs to be done because it's all about meeting the needs of the markets and customers we seek to serve.
0: So the the third and final section of your book is around growth, which is obviously vitally important. And you mentioned a three-stage model. Uh, Could you tell us about that three-stage model of growth?
1: Okay, so in terms of the the three-stage, it's really, uh, Lance, kind of three key areas of consideration with respect to growth. Because in addition to understanding your growth pathways, how you want to grow, you're going to go after new markets, uh, new new markets, new customers, new offerings. upselling to existing customers, which are your growth pathways, then even once you determine your growth strategy, then there's some key consideration that you need to have in terms of, for example, your capabilities. So as you've identified what your growth strategy is going to be, how are you going to fill those capabilities that you need to deliver those product services experiences? So what are some of the different options? Are you going to develop those capabilities internally, which I call build? Are you going to borrow those capabilities, uh, you know, getting in subcontract? consultants, et cetera, or, you, or you're going to build more buy. you might make investments and acquire another company as part of it. So looking at your capabilities uh, and your capability growth is a key component that you need to be thinking about. Then there's the financing of growth and making sure, you know, what is going to be your Ways that you're going to finance growth. Um, Because in order to, you've got to invest to grow. Um, Growth is great, but it does require a lot of expenditure. So really having some stringent financial management to make sure that your um, revenues, uh, you don't have all this money going out the door without appropriate revenues coming in. And how are you going to be financing it? Um, Making sure that financing strategy has been worked out uh, and making sure uh, disciplines are in place around that. And then thirdly, it's around your people and growth. Because um, as I mentioned before, Lance, as your organization grows from the 10-person micro SME to you now a 25-person to your now 100-person SME, you're operating across regions, markets. There's gonna be more complexity, more people, more complexity, more hierarchy. You wanna be making sure that the changes are being managed so that as you're acquiring your people, that you're getting the right kind of people, you're maintaining the right kind of environment that they're feeling that they're getting their own growth. They're having the opportunities to be entrepreneurial, to be innovative, that they're getting what they need so that they feel empowered and satisfied. They're gonna stay with you. You're managing those changes. You're maintaining that same kind of culture, because it, it's, it's very hard to go from a 10, a 10 person business to a 100 person or even 50 person business. But if you're operating across regions, um, you know, across different regions and, you know, uh, different cultures, etc, there'll be changes. So it's really around making sure that you're looking after your people, getting the right kind of people and really managing, empowering, developing those people so that you can be keeping um, those people that you have in your organization, because your talent, your people are the key to your growth strategy success. Anyone can write a strategy, lens, but to be able to execute, you have to have the right capabilities, which inherently means you have to have the right people and the right environment for them to thrive and operate.
0: It certainly isn't easy. And and that's why they should read your book. And we're speaking to Michael Haynes about his really great book, Listen, Innovate, Grow, a guidebook for startups and small businesses looking to acquire and grow business customers. So Michael, your website is listeninnovategrow.com. Uh, yes. what can people find if they go and visit and I'll have the link in the show notes as well as a link to buy your book. Uh, what can people find if they go to your website?
1: Great question. So Lance, on listen, you grow.com, you're, it's a central repository for all information insights on uh, B2B. So I've got the blog section, which has a lot of articles, which talk around some of these different strategies and approaches. There are a lot of uh, podcast interviews as well, where I do a deep dive uh, with other uh subject matter experts and leaders like yourself, land on some of these various topics, uh, and also an overview of the different kinds of services that I offer uh, to clients, ranging from the VIP workshops through to my uh, Empower Mastermind group for SME leaders.
0: Yeah, so that's Media Blog, and I also see under the Resource tab that you've got a community. Um, who can join that community, and, and is it vibrant? Do you spend quite a bit of time growing that community?
1: So, yes, yeah, so anyone can join the Listen, Innovate, Grow community, uh, And there, there's lots of of insights, information, a lot of tools that they can use to really help them build and grow their business. Uh, And so, yes, um, really encouraging those that are interested in B2B innovation and growth to uh, definitely join, to uh, interact, and also gain access to the many uh, tools and resources that I provide for our fellow SMEs in the B2B space.
0: So, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. Really, really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and, and your book and your website with us. And so I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm. Or the website is the podcast.com. And if you you know, if you like what Michael said and you feel that someone would gain insight into it, then please share it with people. And you can find all sorts of other interviews on on the podcast around innovation that we spoke about today, communication, leadership. Uh, you know anything that you're interested in, you'll find it on the you know 160 or whatever episodes that I've done so far. So Michael, thank you very much again, and and.